Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. All right, today is June 4th, 2019. I am your host, Eric Clark, and uh, this is 83, 83rd episode, which is pretty neat, I think, and been being consistent for, I think, like the last three months or so, and which is fun to think about because in about three more months, we'll be bow hunting. So we're getting there. Stick with me, everybody. This is going to get really, really fun as we roll into the hunting season. Um, today on the show, I brought guest Austin Summers with Midwest Whitetail. Um, I'm sorry, Midwest Public Land Whitetail. Um, Whitetails. Jesus. I'm sick. I called it out on the show. I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> to stay consistent through the, through the storm here. Um, but it was just a really good show about public land hunting tactics and approach and how Austin breaks his hunt down. And on today's show, I think I fielded more calls than ever. We had more guests on the show at one point in time than ever before. So, uh, stick with it. I think at some point we had, including myself, five people adding value to the show from around the country, which is super, super cool. Um, some really great topics around public land hunting. So I hope everyone's going to like this one. A couple call outs. I will call out that, you know, I have been and do drink and purchase backwoods grind coffee. If you want to give them a try, it's super cool. I don't make money on these things. This is just trial stuff, me trying to help people out and uh, get some reciprocity. So, uh, if you're interested in trying backwoods grind coffee, try out the code WTH podcast number one to get yourself a nice discount on that stuff. Um, if you're a common hunter and you like, uh, the common hunter, they have uh, great products. Check out common hunter and the code where the number to the word hunt, you get a, a nice discount on some of their products. Like, um, you know, not scent crusher, a uh, specific brand, but, uh, the similar technology for a much more affordable price point. And then ethics archery we had on last week, we had Haas on the show. Um, I'm a real, I'm very intrigued by their products. I'm looking forward to trying them, them their stuff out season talking about being sick them stuff their stuff out uh this season go to ethicsarchery.com if you'd like and uh you can use code ethics i'm sorry <laughs> this is a problem today guys and gals use code w2hunt and the number 10 for a discount on their stuff um holy cripes anyway Great show. This is the okayest podcast. Can we just say that? This is the okayest podcast coming from Wisconsin's okayest hunter. Uh, I did make some t-shirts or some sweatshirts and all of that good stuff for 
Wisconsin's OKS Hunter. If you're interested in something like that, let me know. I'll see if I can make some more designs. Anyway, I'll go ahead and get on to today's topic and bring our guest on. Okay, we are live on the Where to Hunt podcast, live on Facebook, live on YouTube. Um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Another episode. Uh, just a couple call-outs before I introduce our guest on the line. I'm going to call out that on the left-hand side of the screen, you're going to see an Ethics Archery logo and a discount of 10% off if you use the code W2, the number 2, Hunt, and uh, 10. If you go to ethicsarchery.com and you want to buy anything from there, I think it's a good insurance policy for, um, you know, cashing, having your bow cash. What's the way I want to say this? It's insurance for uh, when your bow writes checks that your arrows can't cash or something like that. Um, so that's just something I want to call out right away to show everyone on the screen there. If you, if you care to do that, I don't get any kickback from that. It's just something to help those guys out. They were on the show last week. So, um, pretty neat stuff, but on the line with me tonight is, uh, Austin Summers with, is it Midwest public land whitetails? I get it right. Yes, sir. You did. Good. I'm like trying to do the follow the bouncing ball in my, in my mind's eye here. So, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Um, take a take a minute or two. Just tell the audience about yourself, um, kind of where you're from, where you ended up, and, and what you're all about. All right, right on. Um, well, I'm Austin Summers. I'm from uh, Nebraska originally. I moved out to uh, Illinois a couple of years ago. Um, I've been hunting my whole life ever since I was younger. My grandpa kind of got the switch flipped on that for me. And then uh, once I moved out here to Illinois, I always hunted public land for the most part, and then it was just a complete game changer when I came out here, and um, I started hunting it out here, and I haven't been able to turn around since. I just, um, the thrill and the complete ga- the complete scenery changed from Nebraska's flatlands, you know, with minimal woods to Illinois, where every corner you turn is just full of trees and thick timber, and the deer are just even so different out here, and I don't know, it's, it's kind of something I fell in love with. Um, do you, just do you like it where you're at now better than where you started? Absolutely. I, I, uh, I came out here not really knowing my head from a hole in the ground on this public land sequence <laughs> out here. It's just, it was, I was like a little kid in a candy shop that didn't know where to start, you know, cause how I hunted in Nebraska over fields isn't particularly how you have to hunt here in Illinois. You know, it's, there's a lot of woods and there's a lot of place for these deer to be. And it's a little bit of a game changer. Actually, it was a lot of a game changer, and it threw me through a whirl for the first month or two. It was really, it was kind of a difficult time. <laughs> yeah, dude, I bet. How, sorry, how old were you when you made the move? Uh, I moved out here when I was 22. Or, tw- I'm sorry, 23. Okay. I moved out here when I was 23. So you'd been in Nebraska for quite some time at that point, and you're, it, perceivably, you're pretty young. Not to say that I'm old, yeah. but, <laughs> so how long? how long has it been? Uh, I've been in I've been in Illinois now for three years. Three years. Okay. Uh, I lived in yeah I was in uh, Nebraska for like the majority of my whole life. I lived in Illinois when I was younger, and then we made the change to Nebraska, and then we went out there and stayed out there farming and just living out there forever. And then uh, I got kind of sick in Nebraska and wanted a scenery change, and came out here to catch up with my brother and get started on hunting where he's never been yet. So <laughs> that's great. I got it respond to a comment from Kurt Geyer with working class because I'm wearing a cool working class Wisconsin bow hunter podcast um, hat and I'm a little under the weather so if I'm saying things that sound loopy and shit it's because I am so hopefully the scotch will leave me out as we go here bear with me everybody (laughs) 
but well, that's great, man. So you're, you're three years in, you're trying to learn a, a bit of a new territory. You know, I, you know, I live in this little bubble of Wisconsin in the Southeast corner and I hunt the Southwest piece of Wisconsin. And I also hunt the Northern or I did hunt the Northern part. And even like the locality of where I'm at in Southeastern Wisconsin, there's so, so, so much to learn about how to access land, where it's, where it's at and everything like that. You must have you must barely be scratching that surface in Illinois. I must imagine at, at three years, cause I've been at it for a long time. And I still don't know nearly enough. Oh, absolutely. It's still a whirlwind everywhere I go. I mean, I have a, I have one piece that I chose to specifically dedicate my time to. And I, even then I still don't know that piece as well as I, as well as I feel I should or could. I learn something new every day I go out there. I mean, it's, you know, you learn about the hunters that come in and out, you know, the, where the deer are coming from, how to get in there, how to not to get in, you know, the best times and this and this part of the seasons to hunt is what threw me off the most is like, it's, it's just hmm. real different compared to like October in Nebraska and October in Illinois was just two completely different worlds for me. <laughs> like weather, weather wise or um, changing a season, like, uh, you know, the foliage or how so? Uh, it'd be, it'd be the, just the overall action of the deer, like in Nebraska, let's hmm. say October, you know, later in the season, the deer are going to be out in the fields regardless. It doesn't matter because there's such small pieces of timber. They're going to be out there one way or another. Well, I took that method to meet with me when I came to Illinois, and I learned really hard and really fast that that's not how it works. You know, I had to – everybody will tell you, all these big-time hunters and people that hunt, you know, some of these other parts of land will say, oh, early season you want to be out. These deer are going to be in the fields. That's where it's going to – you know, that's where you're going to find them. They're still going to be in their summer routines. Well, it's – I don't care what nobody says. On public land, that's not going to be the case. It's the deer are going to be they're pressured, they move sketchy, and they stay in them timber lines until they absolutely have to come out. Because you got to think, early season you got your acorns coming down, and what do deer love, deer love the most? They love acorns. So why would yeah. they want to come out to a, to a wide open field and put themselves in danger away when they can stick in that timber line, you know, hundred to to two hundred yards in, feed off acorns, wander around, and go back to bedding without even being seen. Yeah, that's, you know, one of the things my dad kind of harps on and has taught me over the, the many, many years I've been hunting with him is he's pretty obsessive about finding acorns and uh, <laughs> in a nerdy way, like in a nerdy way. And, and I've always admired that. But he's like, oh, this tree's dropping the acorns. These are fresh. Or, you know, this one dropped, you know, a couple of years ago. I wonder if it's going to be dropping again. And and it changes. You know, those trees don't drop acorns every single year or when they drop is might not be that point in time where it's going to matter and it might change you know they might drop on this section of the land at this time of the year and you might be hunting it thinking they're still going to be there but they're dying off and they've ate a majority of that so they're wandering off you know further down to where the acorns are still fresh and they haven't touched yet so it's just about locating them and finding that ideal moment ideal spot where them deer want to stay they're going to be consistent for that time period and it just kind of rotates a lot public land just it's a constant rotation. You don't really know what's going on, but you can do your best to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Well, I mean, so our topic of the day today, and first of all, let me let me ask if it hasn't been abundantly clear just yet to the listeners, do you hunt public land or private land? Uh, I hunt private. Or I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I hunt public. <laughs> I, was, I was I was I was staring at a car driving by and I messed that up. But yeah, no, I hunt uh, I hunt public 99.9% of the time. That is my go-to. I have private available, but I, I choose my public land. I love it. 
Yeah, it's a challenge, man. And, and one that I think it's a badge of honor, you know, to get to have that. I think it's a privilege. That's how I talk about it. It really is, in, in my opinion. Nothing wrong with private property. I'm just not there yet. And uh, as a result, I, you know, I, I hunt public and that's what I talk about because that's all I know. But that being said, there's a lot of pride that goes into just being a public land hunter. I want to talk about maybe some tactics around public land hunting. We could go a lot of different ways with this, um, but I thought it, it might make sense to just kind of start with like, break down your hunt for me. Um, you know, some of that hunts public land obsessively. You know, I see you on social media. I think you're a pro staffer for Ethics Archery um, and, and maybe a couple others. These these companies wouldn't be doing that for you if they didn't believe that you had boots on the ground all the time. So how do you approach it? Uh, I, it just all kind of varies on the season and where I'm going. For the most part, I start off everywhere by, by doing a lot of glassing. You know, I'll survey, I'll drive around, I'll kind of see what I can see in the fields, what I can catch, you know, any time of the day. And then, honestly, my my best way to start is I watch the people. That's my favorite thing to do. You know, I, I'm a weird guy when it comes to public land. I set up cameras to see where the hunters are coming in at on top of to see where my deer are. And then with that, I go from the pressure, the amount of vehicles that are coming in and coming out, you know, try to try to get a grasp of their general location of where these people are going and that'll set the miles. That'll set the ball rolling for me as to where I want to access and where I believe these deer are going in. So I look at. I'll start by doing that, and then I go into my Onyx, and that's my game changer. When I got Onyx and read, learned how to start with topographs, that that was the whole game changer for me, because it's just kind of like throwing a dart on a board and picking a spot when it comes to public land, you know. And you read these graphs. And you see where these people are going, and you just got to try to pinpoint your bedding, the pressure, and overall, what's going to keep them there and what's going to bring them there, you know. And my biggest thing that was hard for me to learn in the beginning was, is where are these deer, and why are they here? Like, what's, yeah, what's bringing so, them to this, this area? So, we'll back up to the first thing you said is you like to really watch where the people are or are not going, and, um, you know, I think that's something that you can do in season better than you can do when scouting. So how much, I guess, how much of that factors into like, um, it, that's an in-season thing, right? That's something that you're doing once the season is in swing where you're trying to get, how much are you, how are you dedicating your time and planning around that to have that type of observation? Cause that's an interesting as, insight. As far as like, what do you mean? How am I going about figuring this out in the off season? Yeah, maybe a little bit uh, on the preparation side of things. Like um, you, know, you mentioned, like, hey, I like to glass and really kind of study things, you know, ahead of time and get a good sense of awareness for things, but also watching the people. That just piqued my interest because um, that's a harder one to do, but I think if you can get it, that helps you immensely, right? Because I, I think something I say quite often is um, 90% of scouting is trying to get away from other hunters, let alone try to find it in the deer, right? And if you can at least get away from other hunters, that that's a big step in the right direction. Absolutely. And a good a good way I start off with everything, whether it be, you know, off season or in season is is I like to talk to everybody. I mean I mean I am I am more than willing to go out of my way to say hi or say bye to hunters when I'm see them coming and going, you know. I just conversate with them and kind of get a grasp of what, you know, what their moves are, how they feel everything is. And a lot of hunters are what make the way for how to build me up and what I want to do because, you know, some of them guys have been there five, ten years, you know, far more than I have, and I just kind of take their words, 
you know, where they move and where I see stands and where I see foot tracks and a lot of overlooked spots is actually what I try to focus in on more is, you know, there might be a parking spot 50 yards from the road or there's a parking spot and 50 yards from there, there's a small section that I guarantee you'll never see a tree stand in and nobody thinks anything of it because it's so close to the road and the field. And people go through there all the time. You watch during off seasons, you see your mushroom hunters, your scouters, your shed, your shed hunters, everything. And a lot of times the little sections still always get overlooked for the simple fact that there can't be deer in there, right? Yeah, so, so everyone's kind of I, going off into this downtrodden path of getting out into the woods, right? As opposed to just yeah, well, everybody right has, here. Everyone has the idea of, you know, there's certain, there's always certain spots a deer are going to go to, which they're right for that fact. But majority of hunters that don't want to go out and push push the grind, you know, harder, you know, going off the beaten path, you know, get away from the food plots, get away from the main trails where you see that dominant trail that's coming through. Well, you know them deer are coming through, but is that big buck coming through? And they all just stick right in the same vicinity. You know, I can go out to my public land right now, and I could take you on a tour, and I could show you 50 stands in an hour. And they're all going to be yep. within yards of each other, you know, just stepping on each other. But then there's a select few that go off that beaten path. And it's all the base, the best thing to do is just kind of look at your map and see, you know, I pinpoint everybody I see, where I see them, and how many times I've seen them there. And if they hunt that same area multiple times, then that, that hunter stays in that general location. So obviously he hasn't killed nothing this season, so I kind of deter away from it. And I'll wander back two to 300 yards. I might even go a mile further. And – just keep pushing the envelope back and back and back. I'm always not afraid to go deeper, I guess, is the best thing. I just, I look for these hunters. I see where they go. I find the beaten path. I find the stands, and I just keep pushing. I like to go where no man's gone, and I like, if I see a sign, if I see a sign that somebody's been there at one point, I don't stop. I just keep going. You keep pressing on. I mean, I just keep pressing. I mean, I, I always try to cover new territory. I'll never hunt the same area once. You know, just because I've seen a big buck there one day doesn't mean he's going to be there the next day. I try to find where he's coming from. I may have seen him in the field that that morning, but I want to know where he was coming from and where he's going to. Yeah, see, I'm the guy that's like, oh, my God, there's a big buck there. He's going to be back. I'm an idiot. That's funny. Um, <laughs> and, not, well, and sometimes it's true. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, it's it's a weird thing. You get, you get drawn to things like that. But, um, you know, I, I found I'm still really interested in the in the people part. Um, you know, I, I, I learned, I think probably I learned this maybe two years ago, but I, I didn't really put it into practice until last year more. So, um, you know, learning that water really does help create that big divide of where other hunters aren't going to be. If there's any place you have to cross water. No, I, I learned this, you know, from the hunting beast guys, um, you know, talked to them a lot last year on the show. And, and that was a big thing that, you know, they kind of alluded to, like, look, if you can cross the river, a lot of the other people out there probably aren't going to do the same thing. Um, you know, but that being said, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that are willing to take a canoe or a John boat or a kayak also, you know, so, but less than however many wouldn't even think of those things, you know, so that's been an interesting thing to try to identify on a, on a map digitally when scouting to figure out, okay, how can I get away from these other guys and gals out there? Absolutely, and I think the water, like you, like I would like to key out on that water access. That is the biggest thing that I I find the most fa- like biggest factor is that, like you said, a lot of people deter away from water. You know, 
they might hunt that water's edge, but a good chunk of them aren't willing to hop in them waders or get their boots wet and cross a, a, a river or cross a creek to get to that other side where it, you can tell that's a good area to be. And that's where that big, that's where big John might be, but they're not willing to do that. They're, they're not willing to push the envelope to go that much further to learn whether he's there or not. And to me, that's, I love cross. I I see water and I get excited. <laughs> I don't mind it. I think it's, I think that's one of the greatest things to key in on is because like you said, a lot of people don't want to cross that water. A lot of people won't bring a canoe in or a kayak or something and cross that river to the other side and be the first boots to touch that ground in some time. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, you know, for that reason, I I brought a canoe with me and, and hunted, you know, and through water access uh, for both season last year. And it was a ton more work. You know, I had to get the canoe on the car and I had to have, then I had to have someone come with me because like, I probably could have done it by my own, but I don't have, you know, whatever the equipment is to do that. It just would have been a, a total struggle. And, um, you know, so then I had to like line up my buddy and make sure he could go the same day, same time, would be willing, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, honestly, then we end up getting this thing in the water thinking we're all ninja and shit. And we get, we get out there and there's another canoe banked right in the same spot I was thinking of. So it's like, you know, some it's getting harder and harder to get away from other hunters. It's insane. And I know public land for that reason, that I think that's what makes it so challenging. But not everyone knows where the deer are. So let's maybe switch gears and, and talk about like, how are you, you know, we talk about pinch points, you talked about, you know, looking at topographic maps and, and reading some of that information. You know, what's the next step when you've decided, okay, I think I've got away from at least a good chunk of the other hunters. Now let's hone in on finding the deer. What does that look like for you when you're out? Um, well, I'll get it. Like I said, we'll start with the maps and then the next step is to get in there, you know, get in them woods and, and see what it's really all about. You know, it might look beautiful from the top, but whether, whether you're going to get in there and find them hard lines and then find them runoffs of them fingers that, you know, to tear off and come in some great bedding, it, you got to get in there and you got to figure it out for yourself. So a lot of it is just, a lot of it's a, uh, a hunt and is a hunt and glass trips. You know, I'll get in there, I'll get in there, I'll 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 look for my sign, I'll look for you know my bedding, I'll look for food, I'll look for access from private where people are you know what private's next to me, what do they have to offer? Once I get in them woods and and just kind of get a guesstimate of where they're coming from, and then honestly I'll hang a stand up the first day and no problem, and I might spend the whole day just watching deer. I might not even have them 200 yards in front of me. But the next day I have a better idea of where they're coming from and how much closer to them I need to be. And that gets me one step closer to locating where they're coming from and why they're being there. So you'll do like an observation sit first. Man, I would struggle with that. I've seen the hunting public guys doing it. I've heard of others doing observation sits. You know, I get glassing and, and preparatory things and shining even at night to see if, you know, bucks are up and chasing, et cetera, et cetera. But if I had an observation sit and, and you're still bringing everything with you just in case, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I come in fully prepared. I, I mean, I bring everything from my, from my stand, my cameras to anything I can need for that hunt. It's with me in full preparation that I might, I might've just picked a honey hole the first shot. You know, I, I just, you never know. And I've had a lot of good glassing trips turn out amazing the first run. And then some are complete bombshells. And then the next day I move, 75 50 to 75 yards over and i'm i'm on the golden ticket yeah that's crazy how that makes a difference especially when you're hunting with a, with a buddy or two and you know like they're not that far away um but they're obviously not too so close and the the 
temperature of the hunt will be like, dude, I saw five, you know, doe and I saw a spike buck and then I had a six come through. And, and then the other guy's like, I didn't see shit. What are you talking? What? <laughs> what do you mean? You were like right next to me. You Isn't were that crazy how that works. I didn't you know? see a damn thing. <laughs> yeah, it's happened. It's happened a number of times. Either it's I'm the guy that didn't see anything or I'm the one that did. It's gone both ways. Oh, yeah. One too many times I've had some wild encounters like that where we were only just, just you know, a chunk of forest apart. And then they're telling me all these mass, massive deer they've seen and just heard the doe. And it's like I didn't see but a fox. <laughs> right. Or I, yeah, even that. Like I saw a coyote. Or, and then it's, that's why I always have a hard time taking anybody seriously when they're like, oh, my, this year is terrible. The, the hunting's down. The DNR doesn't know what they're doing. Well, it could have been the spot you're in, you know, or, or maybe you're lazy or, you know, maybe things have changed. Um, the guy 50 yards from you, maybe he saw eight deer, you know, you didn't see any, That's it's just so subjective, but so how, how are you accessing the properties that you hunt? Are you bringing a canoe, a kayak? Are you just going in, in you know, boots on the ground, um, taking boots hiking the- trails, nature trails? What does that look like? Oh, uh, well, I'd like this year, I'm going to be starting out with accessing with a kayak or small boat, depending on some of the public land I hunt. But I wanted to do that last year, but I was too afraid because I didn't know the area that well. And honestly, I was kind of being scared about it. But as of right now, my main tactic is just boots on the ground. I mean, it goes everywhere from 100 yards to three miles to get back to where I want to hunt. And that's, I start off, I take, I try to take a different path every time I come in. Sometimes I'll take an old logging trail. Or sometimes I'll take an animal trail that's been cut, you know, by some coons or deer, and then I'll kind of venture off. And just depending on where my pinpoints are set for where I'm trying to go hunt that day, it all depends on the way I'm coming in. Like in the wind, the wind plays the largest key factor to how I access, you know. But I won't, I would try my best to never take the same trail to get into an area more than once or twice. I mean, yeah, wind's a big one, I I think. Um, I was watching some of the hunting public. Last night I had some time uh, and my wife was out. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get some public land hunting knowledge crammed into my mind for preparation tonight. And, you know, they went in through this kind of stream or Creek or whatever and, and played the wind to their, to their absolute best possible outcome. And this buck came in and, and they even dropped a, a milkweed seed and it didn't, it didn't go anywhere near where that deer was. So it was like, how the hell do they, do they sense that? That being said, you know, if you watch White Till Adrenaline and those guys and you pay attention to some of these hunting shows and things like that, um, you can play chess with these animals by playing the wind. They are not going to traditionally, typically, most of the time, if you can use the wind to your advantage and you know where they're betting, you can really kind of get, you know, in a, in a strong position for, for you know, success. Um, and then you said you're, you're mixing it up, right? You're like, I'm not going to go in the same way twice unless maybe the wind has a, has a say in that, but... Absolutely, and that's the thing is is the wind is the wind is the make or break for any hunter. I don't care what nobody says. If you can play your wind right, you can kill large deer consistently. You know, as long as your those deer are there, the wind will play the biggest factor in you. I mean, you could you could go about on any other you could mess up on any other thing, but you play your wind right and you move silently, you can get within yards of killing that deer religiously, and that's. That's the most important factor is how you're coming in. If you're walking right across the deer trail when you're coming in, where they're going to come in, they're probably going to make your scent. If your wind is blowing right in their face of where you think they're betting, there's a good yep. chance that deer are probably going to get up and walk away. And then you're not going to see them, and then you're going to wonder why. 
majority of pe- time when people aren't seeing deer, they don't pay. They didn't weren't paying attention to their wind, and their wind probably blew right to where them deer were, and they just moseyed on out, and that would be why. You know, and I, I, that took a lot of trial and error for me. I never, when I came out here, I did not focus on wind at all, and I would get deer in front of me religiously, and then it's like they just had this little honing device, and they just look up, and they just <laughs> looked right at me, and we're gone. I mean, I can't tell you how many deer I had come in front of me, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing it right. I got this figured out, you know. And then they just stare right at me, and they blow at me, and there goes Big John trotting off into the woods, and I don't see him the rest of the week. And I, I like couldn't that you figure call him out. John. That's that's the good yeah. part of this right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a saying. I don't know, but it's you know I couldn't figure out for the life of me like what am I doing wrong? Like I'm I'm trying all these fancy scent controls. Everybody says you know to try. I'm doing this and doing that, and then after a couple of my really good buddies I talked to, and they're like, well, are you playing your wins? You know, are you paying attention to your wins? So I'm looking at them, but I, I never would focus on that on the way I'm coming in. How I set up a stand, yeah, but my access, I wouldn't. So I'd just be walking all over heck, you know, walking all over everywhere, not paying attention to where I'm dragging my smell and where my smell's blowing, you know. And once I changed that, my my public hunting started changing. That was the, the rise of when I started learning how to really hunt public land. What year was that or how many years ago, do you think? That, I, about two years now. I could say with a with a good solid record of hunting. My first year was very rough. Last year was my first year of really getting into it super hard and putting the boots on the ground and taking everything from all the good people I've met and putting it all into full effect. And it was my most successful year I've had hunting my whole life. That's great. We'll get to that later because I think that might be memorable. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but it's, so I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're kind of coming into your to your skin here with um, you know maturing into and becoming a, a really good and mature whitetail hunter and hunting maybe mature whitetails in that same sense. You know, I, I feel like I'm in a similar place. So you and I are, are jamming pretty nice because we're at a similar, similar place. Sometimes, you know, this is an offensive thing, but I talk to some people that are like, they've been at it for 20, 30, 40 years. And um, the shit they know, I'm like, man, the, oh my God, this is mind blowing. But it's fun to spar with someone, you know, where I feel like that's kind of where I'm at, right? I feel like I'm just about to turn this corner here and with some more time and dedication into, into the actual woods, um, those efforts compound the more that you, you kind of have that time in there to test your theories out and see how they work. Absolutely. I, trial and error is the biggest thing. You know, I don't know a lot, but I, I, I can know more, and I will know more tomorrow. I'll know more the day after, and I'll continue to, to learn and take in from every all these great guys I've met. I mean, the hunting public and Dan Involt, the hunting beast, they were – the largest factors into me learning how to play hunting land minus the guys I've met out in the state of Illinois since I've come out here, but they, you know, their shows are all and their the way their words, everything are so full of knowledge, you know, and that is just about piecing together their own little, their, what you take from their shows and their words and their podcasts and just putting it into your brain and trying to put that in the field and then using your own experiences, you know, cause everybody hunts different. Everybody's got their own style and their own methods and what they believe in. And it's just about Absolutely. making 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 it work for you. Don't be what that guy is. Be what you be what you want to be as a hunter, you know. Just because it's trendy and, and catchy and that's what people are working for them, it's not it might not work for you. So you just gotta take what you can and, and make and make something work for you and what you find to be the most comfortable and effective for yourself. 
Well, when you're going beyond your comfort zone too, like, so last year, the first year I took a canoe out, right. And I, I was talking to the Southern ground, um, hunter guys and, uh, you know, they're really big on water access and taking out kayaks. And so after that episode, I was like, all right, fuck it. I've talked to these guys. I've listened. I've learned It's time to put it to put it to execution here and do it. The level of excitement that I had dipping that oar into that, you know, the, the, the water was glass. It was all foggy because it was super early. You had to be super quiet. And we came in so stealthy. It was incredible. The excitement I had around the opportunity because I knew I was separating myself from other hunters in a, in a creative way, even though there was one other canoe there, that was still a fraction of the hunters that I would have seen in the parking lot. There would have been, a, there would have been like, you know, 20 trucks. Um, so one canoe versus 20 trucks was still a better outcome. And, and, trying out the theories and things that we're learning is just it, it feels so cool to do that and then see what the outcome is right um absolutely we got we got some comments coming through here from connor and jeff Ganke and byron and trevor yo guys if you're watching uh there's a number on the bottom of the screen i'm not sure if you've seen it but it's two six two seven five seven forty one twenty two y'all can call in and we can talk about what works for you guys too Unless you're that busy, but you're watching and commenting. So this is your show, fellas. Anyway, I'm done with the plug. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can draw up some callers. But no, man, that that's that's a great that's a great point. Um, you know, are you are you finding yourself looking for and finding, you know, buck beds specifically and, and what is that if you had success there? It was uh absolutely I am. And it's it's getting better as the time goes on. Um and the, I was having a really hard time trying to key in on those. I, I would think I knew what I was looking for, and then I would prove myself wrong. It wouldn't be a buck bed. It would be a bunch of doe beds. And as the time goes on, I've looked, and I've been able to single them out a little bit better. You know, some of this, and that goes back, this right here will go back to the beginning of our conversation of the isolated areas that people overlook. And, you know, there's a I've prime, prime example. Where I hunt, there is a parking spot. Okay, at the bottom of this hill, and to the right is some beans. And about 50 yards from that is where the timber starts. And I have walked through that area so many times, time and time again, accessing to go to different locations in the bottom of this of this drop-off down there. Well, yep. later in the season, I'm trying to I'm just trying to figure out new spots. I'm wandering around. Well, I come on an area that's a little bit snowy, a little bit melted, and I notice some fresh rubs. And I took me it took a minute to grasp, but I realized this was a big buck bed. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's an old buck bed, but it looked fresh, fresh hair, fresh rubs. I was like, this is a dominant bed. This this deer comes here religiously. And I sat down and I looked, and from his spot, it was literally you could see the parking lot perfect. You could see people coming to the field. You could see downhill. He had clear cover behind him, and he had the wind blowing straight to his nose. I mean, it was the exact definition of a perfect buck bed. And I would thought that I spooked him out of there by me being in there. Cause I shouldn't have been all up in his business like I was, but my curiosity got the best of me. And I was just so mind blown that how easy that deer is within range of that parking lot and could just watch everything that was going on a couple of days. I let it sit out a couple of days and I come back and I sat in the parking lot and I got out of my truck and I went to the edge of the field and I just sat there with my binoculars and I watched and here comes this nice eight-point buck creeping the tree line. And he comes up, and he kind of spins back around and just kind of keeps his nose in the air for a little bit. 
and there he lays right there in that buck bed. And that, that from that moment on, it just kind of changed my perception of how I look for these beds and how I try to isolate them. You know, and I, I'm still, I'll be modest with you, I'm still not the best at isolating these buck beds, but I'm getting a lot better at it. That's good to hear, man. We do have a caller, actually. Um, I think the auto screening goofed up their name. It says their their name is Norton Mayer. So unless that's correct, then I'm sorry. But I'm going to go ahead and bring you on. Um, thanks for calling into the show. You're live on the Where to Hunt podcast. What's going on, Eric? Who do we got? I think that it may have uh, goofed the name. I'm not sure. Oh, it's Byron. 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 Yeah, I just saw you Thanks, guys man. advertising the number, and I was like, you know what? I've been meaning to call in for a couple episodes and just haven't made the uh, right night on the uh, uh, Facebook to get the notification. So. I appreciate it. My thing says your name is Norton, so maybe that'll be your new shit. <laughs> oh, he probably caught my last name as Horton. There you go. That's what it was. All right, cool. And you're calling out of Ohio, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rock on. So, so how do you let's let's break down some hunts. Like how do you um how do you break down your public public land hunting? Ooh. Public land hunting, I, I guess very first thing I do is I look at uh big metropolitan like people populations or like population density by county. Um Okay. Smart. That's probably where I start. And then, you know, in my hunting state, like in Ohio, I'm, you know, is it big woods related or is it uh, agricultural land? We we don't have the swamps uh, that you guys talk about out of Wisconsin, but those are kind of like how I'll divide my two pieces of, of public land I hunt. And then, and then from there, are you, how are you accessing? Are you boots? Are you water? Mm. Are you, you know, flying in from a helicopter? Right, I would say 95 and 99% of the time is boots. Um, you know, like I feel like you hear a lot of guys talking about, you know, hiking in miles and miles. And, and we just, I think our biggest piece of state forest is, is two by four. Um, and that's like, you know, in, in a very secluded section of the state. I do take a, either a canoe. I've got one really good canoe spot and a couple others that are okay. Um it's it's definitely it's like you spend just as much time you're either walking further or you got to jack around with the canoe to yep, get to those way. places like like it's yeah either way I do have one honey hole that is a canoe spot. How I feel do like get getting your out with a canoe has got to be a lot easier, right? Uh, yeah, but well, you do no, have the jack around factor of of prepping it the night before. And I do take a uh, I do have a trolling motor. Um, that I that I can take too, and I don't know. It, it I, don't get me wrong though. I do want to someday, you know, shoot a buck and and, and and take it out with the canoe. Like I think that'd just be a, a badass accomplishment. Yeah, that will all feel like Sam over at Chase Nation, won't we? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking of. <laughs> got that famous picture. I swear, it's the best. It's freaking great. Well, um, did you have any questions or anything like that? I mean, it sounds like you're pretty well versed. You know what you're talking about. I, I'm really happy that you, you know, you took a second to call in. Um, you know, are there any any questions you have for us? Otherwise, I am. I might have some more, some more for you too. Yeah, I guess. Um, oh, or, or, or just a, a topic of conversation. Like he, uh, yeah. you guys were talking about. Oh, that that 75 yard adjustment. Um, and that was something like that just struck a chord with me. Like. I feel like it's it's sometimes 
Oh, I ki- I killed a buck because of Dave making oh a, a seventy. Uh, it was a hundred yard adjustment like two to three years ago where we hunted one hillside. We literally walked oh a hundred yards into this pinch and said, "Well, this pinch is like lit up with signs. This is where we need to be." And it what you know we didn't exactly observe, but it was kind of that that method you guys talked about of of oh that fine tuning that second. It's still a first time set, but, it, but it's it's kind of like you go from getting in the area to to the actual kill tree, if you will. Um, and I thought that was a that was a pretty good point you guys were bringing up. Cool. Thanks, that man. that's that right there is probably one of my biggest learning experiences I had was just making them adjustments. As far as you know, you might be not in the right spot that time, but a good majority of the time, that second that second hang is is the kill zone. And if it's not, it's pretty, it's pretty near damn on the money. And is that about oh, the same yeah. for you, Byron? Um, I would say um, I, I'm I'm a mm, I I think I've killed maybe I'm trying to think. I know I killed one buck where I moved three times within 40 yards. Um, so that's kind of a, a, of an example of that. And then the buck I killed with a gun was an example of that. This year's buck though was first time set. Um, hey, well, there we go. Nice. It, yeah, it's kind of a fit. I, I would say fifty-fifty of I've come in and, and I'm sitting a stand for the very first time, and, and maybe maybe I get lucky. Um, and then I, I've just listed two out of the last five years that have been what I'll call like a, a second move, where I've hunted an area and shifted. We'll call it within a hundred or hundred and fifty yards. So yeah, I think. I think there's something to that. I, I uh, and I think too time of year. I think during the rut, if if you know if you're, you know, I think you can get away with uh, what I'll call those, those little adjustments before you educate them, kind of thing. During are you guys? I think is you're it right assume, during the rut. I say, is it safe to assume that you guys are both hanging bang as working class would put it, or like are you doing hang on stands, or are you doing saddle, or, or what does that look like? Are you doing still hunting, or? Oh come on! You know that. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely hanging and hunting. Man. I mean, I, hanging bang. Yeah, yeah. I do need to still hunt just a little more. I think there is that, that's a weakness in my game and an area I can improve on. But yeah, it's it's definitely hanging stand sticks. I've been doing that now for four years. And climbers it, uh, that. Yeah, I was that's in climbers before the hanging bang too. Uh, Still hunts, Connor Wakefield and I, shout out Whitetail Drifter there, uh, He, me and him had some pretty fun still hunts when he was down here in Illinois. But I, I love still hunting. Still hunting is, it's the biggest damn adrenaline rush you can experience, I feel. But I'm a big hang and bang through and through till till I'm done hunting. <laughs> yeah. See, I was yeah. always hang and bang before it was called hang and bang. And, uh, you know, whoever coined that, it may have really been the working class fellas. But at some point, I I don't know what it was. I think, honestly, it was laziness. It was the age I was at. I was 21-something, getting trashed all the time. I cared about chasing, you know, tail more than white tail. <laughs> and I was just kind of lazy. And so I was like, man, I'm freaking tired. I'm just going to sit on the ground because I'm sick of trying to, like, not fall out of this tree stand. And and then something changed. You know, I, I, I got married, so there's that. And then... uh you know, I started trying to do like a, a spot and stock kind of more and, and take a couple of steps and be real still and quiet and listen and then go again and then go again. And then 
you know, I've even taken it as far as to like acting like a deer when I'm moving, um, which sounds silly, but it's, it's just been an interesting thing I did this last year and it, it got me, um, to see and have an opportunity at more bucks than I ever have my whole entire hunting career. So that being said, I'm also doing hang and bang still, but I've had, I think a little bit more success for me and how I hunt in Wisconsin, um, doing that style. Yeah. Now, and, and I think too, it may be placed to the, the, the hunter skill set. Like I, I've, I, I hit a buck last year still hunting. Um, and I actually have a buddy that I hunt with who we were, we were packing in together and he shot a doe that I like spotted while we were kind of like sneaking in. And so we still had stand sticks on our backs and, and, and he shot the, shot the doe. Um, I think you got to play to your skill set sometimes. Like if you've got the wind or if you like have the ability to like what I'll call like figure out when you got to slow down, speed up, or, yep. or kind of um, if you pick up on deer better. Like I've got one buddy, I swear to God, he can't see if there is a T Rex running in front of him with antlers. Um, <laughs> well, he wouldn't see the arms, but you know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but 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 he can do a decent job of of sitting in a stand for long hours. You know, sitting till eleven eleven o'clock noon on morning sits. So, so, you know, like he might play to that strength versus, you know, still hunting just because he's not going to pick the deer up. I feel like when you still hunt, you got to spot them first. You know, like if you spot them first, it's say 40 yards and then they, they, you know, work their way to like a more killable distance. Like that's like the biggest thing is, is spotting them first when you're on the ground. Yeah, that is. And that's really tough. You know, one of my good friends who I invited to the, to the watching of the live view, He's got two daughters. He's probably it's probably bath night if I'm not mistaken. But he uh he had like shot a doe earlier in the day or maybe a different buck with his brother. I can't remember. I think it was another buck. And he got the scent gland and he rubbed it all over himself. It was a buck because this wouldn't work if it wasn't. And he ended up spot stalking a different buck and that buck almost fucking charged him. And it was like a close encounter. It was nuts. Um because he had that stench on him, right? Of of this other of this other buck. So he was like, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna come and do this. So we got Kurt Geyer on the on the on the hook here. You want got you guys want to bring him in? Can we handle four of us? Oh, Let's bring him. Oh Lordy, come on, Kurt. Hey Kurt, you're live on the Where to Hunt podcast. What's up? Hey, what's going on, man? Dude, you've been what's going on, you've, Kurt? You've called in. This is it. This is great. You were my first ever guest in the live listener call in. Look at where we're at, man. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It all kind of came full circle, huh? Now I was just watching. I had a night off from the family and did some bow shooting and was tuning in yeah that's right shit my beautiful daughter yeah yeah it's been crazy around here <laughs> hold on yeah I, i'm i know the feeling well what now, do you Curry, got for us we're talking about hanging and banging and how you guys, you guys freaking originated and coined that term i was gonna say yeah Curry, well, you got to set him straight yeah what's funny about it that's what i was calling just to talk about like the hang and hunt stuff but uh, or hang and bang, but yeah, that is actually from our show. But we didn't really crown it. Danielle Wilson was our guest, and we made a team around hang and bang. But she was the first person to actually like bring that term to our show, and then we just kind of took it and full blown ran with it because we loved it so much, and it kind of met the internet through our show. So that's what we did. That's awesome. I can just see the internet saying, "Okay, hang and bang. I'm internet. Okay, internet. I'm <laughs> hang and bang." <laughs> yeah, we did a. We were at the Ohio Classic out there, um, 
and we were going around asking people if they knew what Hang and Bang was, and I think most people think it's like a Netflix and chill. That's funny. <laughs> hang and Bang later? <laughs> yeah. It's a lot understated, but it's funny. I actually thought Netflix and chill really meant, like, let's watch Netflix and chill. And then some kid was like, no, dude, that means sex. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> whole time? <laughs> Have I gotten to that age now where I'm out of the loop? <laughs> <laughs> Well, sorry, I, I just jumped on the show and crashed it, just with the whole hang and bang term. But I just thought, oh no, interesting time to call in with you know Byron talking about uh, you know hang on sets and all that stuff. I feel like that's something I've always like really sought after as like my hunting style is just being mobile and not being afraid to guess and check and and hop in an area and just see what happens. Well, let me ask you guys this, the three of you, and and maybe take turns answering if we get to that, but. So hang and bang, right? Like it, it can be a lot of work. I would argue that it's gotten a shit ton easier now with, you know, like lone wolf custom gear and just the way that some of these, you know, climbing sticks work and how you can easily get a tree stand onto a tree. But do you guys find yourselves like, okay, I'm going to set up here. This is the tree. This is the spot. We're good to go. And how often do you say, mm, I'm up here and eh, shit ain't happen. I'm going to get down, tear my setup down and go somewhere else in the same hunt. You want to take a lead? So like, yeah, like you're saying, like if I throw a stand up, hang one, and then I might want to take it down and move it like right then and there, like within the same hang. Yep. Yep. Like, okay, I'm two hours into the sit. Nope. It's not, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to, I'm going to hang it somewhere else. I've done that a few times. A lot of times if I'm going into an area, I mean, it, it all varies, right? It's all situational. What time of year, what my mood is. Cause I'm like, I really try to go with my gut as best as possible. And, you know, sometimes, and most times it's wrong, but I've probably only done that a few times. A lot of times I'll be like, it sucks now, but in three, four hours, if I ride this out and I sit in here, it could really turn out for me. So most times or not, I stick it out and sometimes I'll give it a second chance. And if it doesn't feel right, then I'll move. Cause you can go in there and screw around and make a bunch of noise, get your sin in there, jack around and just mess it up and you just wasted your time. So I, sometimes I'll go in, sneak in, and, and give it a real chance before I just bail on it completely. Makes sense. How about you guys? Like this spot Austin? Of, oh, Austin, sorry. go ahead. I, I, I like your answer. Right. I, I like your answer. Um, the way with me is if I get in there, I get my sticks on, I get hung up in that tree, and the moment I get up there and if I sit down that first look, if I don't feel it, nine to, I'll, I'll be with Kurt on this one. Nine times out of ten, I follow my gut, and I'm – I follow it to the T. If I take that first look and I don't like it, I have no problem hopping down right then and there and either moving 10 yards over to the tree that I think is going to be better or, I, you know, that might give me the better vantage point, or I'll just overall switch a spot. And sometimes I'll admit it's not the best option, but a lot of the time it does not let me down. If I have that feeling that the moment I take that first look from that stand and it's not where I feel it needs to be, I have no issue moving immediately within, you know, that – first given point because if i ride it out i'll ride that thing out till dark interesting byron i'll ask you too but before i do that we're going to break a record on the where hunt podcast we're going to bring in our fifth caller yes <laughs> i'm just going to bring it in a party you guys you don't have to say goodbye if you want to drop off you got shit going on that's cool i'm going to bring in jeff from wisconsin jeff you're uh live on the where to hunt podcast there's four of you there's four i have a complaint we don't take complaints oh, i can just drop you uh, that on hold music sucks. 
I did that on purpose because if I, I mean, do, you can I can do you can listen to the show, but then people get confused and they start talking to themselves, and that gets awkward quick. Dude, if you're you're talking hang and bang, it needs to be more like mm 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 mm. Yeah, never you know. heard it. I've never heard it. What does it sound like? Does it sound? Is it is it that it's, bad guy? It's oh yeah, it's rough. It's slow piano elevator music. I'm I'm with it's beautiful, beautiful, awkward, terrible, I like it. terrible. So Jeff, did you hear the latest question? Uh, when I was on hold listening to Mozart, the last I heard was someone talking about, "Have you gotten down from your stand and moved it and had success?" So this one was kind of, you know, I'll let Eric re-ask the question, and I'd love to hear your take on on kind of, oh, the, what, the, go ahead, Eric, go ahead and ask the question. Yeah, you yeah, it's just, you know, how, how often do you? So I asked the question because. Um, we talk about hang and bang being a mobile setup, but if if it's, I think at that point what you're gaining is you're not tied to certain trees that can only be dealt with a climb on, right? You get a lot more flexibility, but you're still doing the same thing. You're picking a tree, you're going up, and you're staying there. You're only so much more mobile. So I ask because how many people are setting up that stand, the hang and bang, and then trying to get down and go relocate to be truly mobile that way? Um, I might be misinterpreting it, but that's my perception and uh, that's what i was asking i'm curious because once i set up I ain't, i'm not trying to do that all over again like kurt said scent noise all of that fucking around like not not my thing my take on well, that is is i did that sorry whoever i just cut off all right i'll go my exact take on this is i did this exactly last year in the rut minnesota hill country and i killed a good buck doing it um, <clears throat> instead of always doing what everybody preach and setting up at the top third of a hill in the thermal tunnel, I was seeing a lot more activity happening at the bottom third and they were going from bedding area to bedding area and they were crossing in a spot on that lower third of the hill. Yes, it was like a funnel that way, but also in the early, early morning, that thermal tunnel had set up at the bottom third. Now, if you just go on Google and just do any kind of knowledge of thermal tunnel, they're going to always see pictures, whatever, videos of setting up at that top third. It's not an always thing, and that's what you got to break down everything. Nothing's concrete. With that was, I went down, I sat down at about the third elevation where I wanted I got to stand up to the height I wanted, and it took me like 45 minutes to get it up because I was going super quiet. Until the wife that. I got up there. I looked around, and when I was at height, I was like, dude, this is not right. I need to shift this thing over 30, 40 yards. Got down, did it all over again, got it up. Like, you know, 40 minutes later, I'm up. And good thing I did it because then the damn buck, he was coming off his bedding point, and he came right down, and I killed him. Everything you got to do is got to be strategically calculated. Um, that was, I was going in blind to that spot. I knew that they had to be at that bottom third, but in the off season, it would have been 10 times easier for me to go in there and pick that exact kill tree before, but you don't get that ability to happen at all of the time, you know, and that's where having a stand that you can trust, be mobile, be quiet, pull it off and do it, you're going to have, you know, punch tags at the end of the day. So you cannot just get into a habit of like, oh, shit, I'm miserable now because I just set this whole thing up and just like say, oh, well, this is good enough, you know. It, I got to improve then, Jeff. Get it done. I'm that guy. It ain't going to get I'm, it done. I'm that guy. 
I'll be the first to to call myself out. Um, um, Byron, I don't know. Did you yeah, answer I, yet? I would. Uh, I would say yeah. I would kind of agree with that. Sorry if I'm cutting people off. There's five of us, so it's going to be weird. This is, yeah. this is not normal. This that. is not a normal podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go. Um, I, I do agree with what you're saying. Um, I, I do have some spots, like my go-to spots. That I know that I've maybe set a stand-up in the summer. But I, I personally think it's more effective from a hang-and-bang standpoint to be full-blown on your toes to where you might not even mess around too much in the summer where you're going to hunt. And most of your scouting and activity is going based off, like, what you're seeing in real time when you can actually get on the deer. Like, I haven't put trail cams out yet. I won't do that for another month and a half. I'm not going to mess around out there. Um, I probably won't hang – maybe I'll hang some simple, like, fringe-type setups if I can. But most of my, like I, – I bet the setup that I will kill a deer out of this year, it won't get hung until a day before or that, that walk-in. Mhm. Almost every yeah, year it ends up that way for me. Yep. Same here. I think I'm thinking so, about the same here as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say, like, you know, Eric, you talked about readjusting. I think two things. One, like, if it's like an evening hunt and I can assess the area, I like to stand. I, I, I've, I've stood there for 15, 20 minutes, even taking the bag off my shoulders. Cause I'm like 40 yards from where I think I want to be. And, you know, I'm trying to pick the tree at, you know, and I'm not trying to backtrack. That is the last thing I want to do. Um, so I think evenings, I'm a, I'm a little bit more of just very careful in that first selection. Um, mornings, if, especially once we kind of get to, to, to the rut time frame, if I notice like, you know, if I see four deer and three of them passed within 30, 20 yards of a, of a, of a, of a tree that I can't shoot to or a trail that I can't shoot to, I will move. And I've literally been on the phone with like my buddy Dave and be like, dude, yeah, I've seen eight deer. I said, four of them, you know, came over this little ridge top. He goes, well, why are you on the phone? You know, you probably should move that 40 yards. And I made that move and it didn't pay off, but I, I, I did visually see uh, a shooter buff, but he was just you know i would have never seen him if i just stayed put it was just um yeah i'm more likely to shift a lot you know in that morning time frame if if i notice something while i'm there um and definitely in, in the rut if i see what i think could be a hot doe and she dances out there 50 yards in the timber where i can't shoot to i i, I will tear down and move right away especially that's a great point that november that's a great time point, point. I think that's yeah, probably right the catalyst. I think maybe that's what I haven't seen, which is why maybe I haven't. Now, when I've been doing my spot and stock, um, or my still hunting, whatever the hell you want to call it, um, I, that's I have made those adjustments still hunting, and I think it's it's a lot easier um, than yeah. tearing down, yeah. right? So th- there's obviously, but then but then you're giving away the advantage of being up and having that height advantage and being out of the, you know, the, the, the sight, the line of sight of that deer and also the, what that does for your scent. So it's a little bit of give and take there. Here, there's kind of, you can break this down into a little bit simpler of terms and terrain too. I think when you're going to hang and bang, or as I refer to it as just go a hundred percent, you know, pure mobile in hill country, I feel like you have to hang and bang more often and more frequently because, of all of the dynamic of thermals and how wind changes and cuts over these hills and it's constantly changing. Um, 
Whereas in the morning, I feel like, you know, you can sit down a little bit lower in that hill because that thermal tunnel setting up lower, especially in the rut. And a lot of people think it's only during the rut that they'll do that. That's all year long. You got to remember that too. Um, and then throughout the day, by 10 o'clock, I've already moved. If I'm moving down 150 yards, you know, closer to that bed or whatever that's on the point, I moved up to about half the hill, you know, and then I'll even, as that day gets hotter and that hill heats up more, I'm moving up even higher on that hillside because they're going to cruise up and down that hill at different elevations too. Now in, when we hunt the cattails, when we hunt the cattail swamp, I find myself moving less. They're going to be on these little micro points or these little islands and they're there because they're safe. They're so, they have a water security factor in there that they don't have on the dry land. Um, I find that bedding to be not as wind specific. There is a degree of, you know, wind that has to be taken into account why they'll bed where they'll bed. But in those cases, you're not, you know, you're fighting a little bit of thermal pull on that with water and how that heats up and all that. But I feel like that's a very much more controlled. And I find myself moving a lot less in that kind of terrain. I don't know if yeah. you other guys have noticed that or. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100% on that cattail, on that on that swampy getting it down into them cattails. I, I'll agree with you 100%. It's it's you have a little less fluctuation and you kind of it's it's a lot more still for that kind of environment as opposed to getting up in them hills and and being in all, all different terrains as far as that aspect. Kerry, you still with us too? Yeah, barely. Barely. <laughs> Your daughter, uh, was that your daughter in the background yeah. we heard a little bit ago? No, it wasn't mine. I got the I got son. the night off from the fam. <laughs> my old lady brought my son out here. That, that was my boy. <laughs> that was your boy, I, man. I don't have, okay, cool. Where we hunt, or where I hunt in Illinois, I don't really hit the battle a lot of thermals and hills and stuff like that. It, it's rare. I mean, there there is some there, but it's not on an extreme level um, like some people hunt. But really what I think, you know, we can bust like break down all these tactics and everything on hanging hunts and everybody's got like their own opinions and own little tactics and everything that works. But really what it boils down to is just don't be lazy. Lazy hunters aren't consistently, consistently successful hunters, bow hunters. Yeah, don't be a 21 year old. Don't be a 21 year old Eric Clark. <laughs> it just requires a little more effort. You know, it's, I might go out and do something and maybe some people will agree with it or Austin or Byron or whoever might say something that they do. And I might not fully agree with it, but it might work for them. And, but really the bottom of bottom line that we all have in common, no matter what we want to stick to is that none of us are lazy and we're willing to put in a little more effort to get a shot at a deer or just even see more deer in general, you know, to make something yeah. happen. I think that's what separates the, Whatever, if you took all hunters and you broke down the successful portion of them, whatever that percentage is of bow hunters that are successful, I think the one thing that you couldn't argue that they have in common is they're not lazy. The the thing that I pulled out of this, um, Kurt, to that same point is through experience, it's one of those things that I literally, it just hit me like a, like a, I don't know, a rock, um, I remember being in certain areas and seeing deer that were too far away, but I didn't have the the wherewithal to know that I ought to make an adjustment. It just didn't even occur to me. I had nothing to do with lazy or not. I didn't even realize that that yeah. was something that I should be doing. I was actually too fearful to get too close to them because I didn't want to scare them away. Um, mm-hmm. But 
if you are experienced more and you've played the wind right and you've set up correct and you know where the bedding is, um, then you can make those adjustments and know that you, you ought to make that adjustment if that's what you're seeing. So yeah. that's pretty interesting. You know, man. like, it, yeah, but also don't be lazy. Yeah. Don't be a fucking schmuck. Like that's okay. That's okay too. Right. Right. Well, it's funny you say like that hit you like a rock. Cause I remember growing up with my dad hunting and my dad, so I basically started bow hunting as like, you know, I had uh, a couple small, like not really hang on, but like ladder stands and, an old API telescopic stand. That was like the mobile stand for me when I was a little guy. Cause you know, I was too scared to hunt out of hang ons and stuff and couldn't hang one yet on my own. Well, then my mm-hmm. dad started hunting with a climber and that's where he, when he killed the Geyer buck, which is um, with our group of friends, it's kind of like the legendary deer of the group. And my dad did it with a climber. And then we dove into the lone wolf hang on setups. And that's when like, I really saw, saw a hard transition and me consistently killing deer with my bow. I mean, even if you go through, like, my Facebook album of, like, some of the animals I've killed, you can see, like, the hard line where I start, like, not necessarily tripping into them, but realizing the hang and bang method of hunting, you know, is the most effective way that worked for me anyway. Um, And I started Mm -hmm. doing that young. And even if I hung a stand, you know, I think two years ago I hung, I don't know, like 40-some sets trying to get on a deer. You know, I kind of did that every year just trying to struggle my way, tripping and falling over myself to try and get a deer. And I think that's the best way to, to figure it out in the end. Well said. Well, hey, guys, I'm going to drop you and Jeff, and we're going to continue on with Austin. We're going to get to his most memorable hunt, so stay tuned yep. if you want to hear good. that. But I'm going to drop you good guys. Good luck, Thanks guys. so much for the calls. Take care. Thanks, bye. boys. Rock on. So, that was crazy. Austin. That was awesome. <laughs> when it rains, it pours, right? Hey, that was awesome, man. I'm glad those guys tuned in. Great yeah. bunch of guys. That was awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's a first to have that many people. I literally have not had, myself included, five people on the show. But um... This memorable hunt is brought to you by Backwoods Grind Coffee. It's more than just coffee. It's a way of life. You're going to want to be awake for this story. So let's brew some up and uh, wake the heck up. Tell me about your most memorable hunt. Let's switch gears. <laughs> oh, man. I want to know. Boy. Well, all right. So it was about December, and I was in Illinois on public land. I had been watching a buck I call Mr. Krabs uh, earlier in the season before snow hit, and he's a mainframe eight. He's old. Big monster. I was watching him hard for a good month or so, and then he disappeared. I was worried. I was like, I don't know where this deer is. I can't find him. I found fur where where his bedding was, but big globs of it. So I thought a shotgunner shot him. Broke my heart. Well, it was um, December 
oh, I can't remember the exact date, but my phone goes off. We're getting ready to go hunting that morning. My phone goes off. It's my camera. At 4 o'clock in the morning, Mr. Krabs went off on one of my cameras in the area we were going to hunt. So I go grab my brother. We're hurrying the hell up. We're trying to get there fast. And I'm like, I'm gonna. this deer is going down today. Like, I'm going to find him. And, and he's going down. Well, we get out there. My brother is already on the roll. I still got to get dressed. I don't know what I was thinking. And I was getting dressed out. By that time, I was well past beyond the point of when I wanted to enter the woods. I was pissed. I was just slummed. So I settled. I was like, well, I'm not going to go in there and push him out. I'll come in for him later. So I go to set up on a greenfield. I figure I'll just shoot a nice doe that day. Well, this guy I know that was muzzleloading, he decides to leave. He's going to go get some chew. Well, I, I'm walking the road edge out, and as the, the sun's just peeking up, like it's it's you can see now, it's clear. As he drives out, I hear something, and I look to the right, and I just see this monster rack hanging over these little these little thick trees, and I I knew it was a big buck. I didn't know it was the buck, and so I have my stand on my back. I got my bow. I got my camera back there. I mean, I've got a whole collage of shit. So. I see him, and he kind of looks over, and he catches a glimpse of me, and he starts running. But he was hobbling. He couldn't run very fast. So I enter these little thick trees. I make a cut. I drop my bag, I drop my bag, my stand, everything but my bow and one arrow. And nice. I start making a bee. I start making a bee line to this transition because the way he was moving, I could tell that deer was hurt. I knew he wasn't going to cut down into that bottom and take off on me. He was there. No way that hurt deer was doing it. And I made a cut toward this transition. I made a prediction, a lucky prediction, at where I thought that deer was going to go. And he sure as hell, he beelined, came right out in front of this little mini tree. I seen his head come out, and at 20 yards, we were about probably about 30 yards off the road. Maybe, that's probably about 50, maybe. And he made that cut, came out from around that tree, and I double-lunged Mr. Krabs at 20 yards. I didn't know it was him. I just knew it was a large deer, and I wanted him. And he, I shot him, he jumped, he took off down toward the hill, and he died midair and just went flat leg and fell down and hit a tree. And Holy I was, shit. yeah, I was crying. Like, I was just so pumped up. I was shaking. My hands were tremoring. I dropped my bow. And I was like, there was nobody around me, but I was like fist pumping the air, just yes, 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 yes. And uh, I just stood there in like awe. And I hurried up and rushed down the hill, and there he was laying against the tree Well. He bust. He hit the tree so hard he busted his antler off. And uh, come to that find out, that happened with my he, buddy two years ago. It was like holy shit, dude. It's yeah. crazy. I couldn't. I was worried. I was like, oh my god, my deer's ruined. You know. Well, then I smelt something, and turns out Mr. Krabs had got, uh, from what we think, had gotten into a really bad deer fight, and he had a big hole in his ass, and a, and he still had a tine stuck in his eye, underneath his eye. And he stunk Hell, so man. bad that he he had blood poisoning. And then, uh, so I drug him up the hill, and uh, one of my buddies pulls in, and he's looking at me like, what the hell? And I'm just, like, pointing at this deer, like, check this out. You know, I'm freaking out. Well, we cut him open, and uh, his skin was all, his underneath his hide was all yellow. So, he, I mean, he, he feels dressed out at over 220, and he was a big deer, but we couldn't do nothing just with him. A, because just a it was, savage. I say, you probably couldn't do much with the meat then, huh? Uh-uh, he was, uh, it was a total loss, which is sad to say, you know, he deserved more than yeah, that. No. I, I, I mean, he was a phenomenal creature. And I, I really wish we could have, you know, put him in the freezer and, and made full do of him, but I've made sure and I got him mounted and he's the most beautiful deer I've ever shot in my entire life. And we got him all fixed up and 
he was at, come he was actually he would have been 14 points uh if he didn't have he was a big fighter i mean he had scars all over his face up his back he was there's multiple hunters that once they seen him they told me you know they they seen that deer throughout the course of the years but they could never ever get him within range like he would not let that happen and i i was privileged enough to take him and we call him mr Krabs because he has a giant crab claw on his right on his on the back of his right side and he is just the thickest massiest buck i've ever seen i mean it looks like he's just got sausages around his whole antlers he is just a monster <laughs> and um it. i've never been so proud of a deer in my life and i had a great year and then following that i shot like four or five more does and then wrapped up the year but that was the most memorable day of my made life. Made up for the meat you didn't get, for sure. Yeah, I I was I was kind of glad that I got into the woods late. Like, I mean, I normally I can't ever say that, but I was really lucky and managed to be walking and catch this big deer pop up. But he was so hurt, I'm assuming that that is why he was bedded so close off the road of the trail is because he was just, he couldn't go no further. I feel as if I wouldn't have got him that day, he would have been coyote bait by that night because he was bad. I mean, he was... There ain't no reason I should have been able to catch up to a full-grown deer. <laughs> that size, that age, right? Yeah. I but mean, at that rate, you did him a favor. It sounds like, you know, double long. Absolutely. You know, he, yeah, he's on his way out. That's a, that's an interesting I, that so, I love asking this question because memorable means something different to everybody. And, and notice I don't ask for a successful hunt. I ask for memorable. And uh, that's one that, that I can see why it sticks out in your memory and, it's a unique one. Every every story that I hear at the end of this show um, is unique in its own way. And uh, dude, thanks for sharing that with me. That was that's pretty fascinating. I've not heard of that happening to a deer before that way. Um, it was. I appreciate you having me. I mean, it was it was it was just absolutely breathtaking. Now the game warden was even he showed up out there and he was like lost for words when I told him. And he looked at the deer and this, just a short notice, Mister Krabs ended up being six and a half years old. So, oh, wow, shit, man, that's an old fucking deer. <laughs> Not as old as Kurt's 10-year-old, though. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> that's freaking great. Rock on, man. So how do people find you? How do people find what you're up to? What are, what are you up to? What's the best way for them to get in touch, to learn more, to, to explore and, and, and participate? Social media of all platforms. Facebook, uh, Midwest Public Land Whitetails is my main base platform. Without? Uh, with the S, Midwest Public Land Whitetails with the S. Um, YouTube as well. You can also follow us on Instagram. Um, we're rising, and we would love anybody to come on there and share their stories. And I mean, that's just, it's a great group. I mean, we just want to hear all about it. It's all about success and making the little guy come up and letting, just sharing all the smaller guys, you know, hunting stories and tactics. And we all just want to rise together, you know, and that's the best way to find us. And I hope to see and hear from more people. Hell yeah, man! Thanks so much for being for being on the show, taking time out of your night. Um, you know, we heard your little one crying in the background, so I know it's yeah. hard to get away sorry from family. I, I really no, don't be sorry at all. It happens to me all the time. Sorry it didn't happen tonight. It's either that or a cat or a dog or you know who knows. But um, you know, thanks so much for being on the show. We're gonna cut the live session here, and uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be published this evening, so people can tune in as early as later tonight, and uh, obviously early tomorrow morning. I really appreciate you having me. It means a lot, and uh, sorry if I was a little. Uh, exact or uh, strenuous on some of the topics, but I appreciate you having me. It was a good topic. Glad everybody tuned in. By the way, Byron, Kurt, Jeff, everybody, it was awesome.
That's pretty cool. All right, cool, man. Thanks. Yep. Have a good one, buddy. Bye. Tip of the week. The tip of the week this week is, as Kurt Geyer said, don't be lazy or don't be a 21-year-old Eric Clark. Either way. No, uh, seriously, the tip of this week is, you know, like I said, it hit me like a rock. Um, you, you don't know what you don't know. So pay attention to deer movement that's a little bit out of range uh, when you're out in the field. And once you see that, try to consciously, um, critically think about that and think, okay, well, is this, are the woods speaking to me, right? Are the deer <laughs> speaking to me? Should I actually reset up somewhere else? And as you heard from some of the people on the show today, some of us would move and some of us wouldn't move, or you could do it as an observation sit, whether that's in the morning and you move at night or you go out the next day, um, you know, play around with that experiment try new things. That's when you're going to learn the most is when you try these things. It's going to create new neural paths in your mind and you're going to experience something different and it's going to stick and you're going to learn. And that's when some fun things start to happen is when you get out of that comfort zone. So it's not just being lazy, so to speak, but it's also getting out of that comfort zone, trying something new and seeing what the hell happens. Because you know what? Worst case scenario, um, you don't get the deer. And getting a deer is a bonus. Hunting is the real treat. Being out in the woods is the real treat. That's what we're out there for. I think most of us, granted, we want to get that deer. But if you push yourself a little bit further, um, you might sacrifice that one hunt for the greater good of your hunting career. So, um, you know, making that that 75-yard, that 50-yard, that 40-yard, that 20-yard adjustment might just be the thing that is the game changer for you. So that's something that I've uh, done a bit with the kind of still hunting that I've been doing, although I'll be the first to admit and call myself out, I was not doing that with a hang and bang approach. Once I was hung, I was done. I was there at that spot. I did not want to tear down and reset up. As you heard from Jeff um, and also Austin, they they were fully um, willing to, to recommit to a different spot. So that's the tip of the week this week. I hope you love the episode. This has never been done before. There is no other call-in show um, at all, nor is there one like Where to Hunt. However, we've also never had four people on the show that weren't me all at one time. So that's some learning for me. I'll get better at dropping people off at the appropriate time to, to keep the continuity of the show kind of going and flowing. But it's really exciting. Please share this. Please spread the word. Please give us your ratings and reviews and feedback on whatever platform you are comfortable with, whether that's iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, uh, YouTube, feel free. I love it. It keeps me going. It's my motivation. I know I share a lot of discount codes. That's just for fun and trial. Uh, it's me trying to give back to my guests that I have on the show. So no monetary value for me yet. There might be some small goal there, but really the goal is to add value to the listeners and keep doing that. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with me being sick. Um, the scotch helped, I think. <laughs> So have a great day and hunt public.